0: Hello and welcome to Effective Conversations with Yael Finer. Each episode is a unique journey into a polarizing topic where we go beyond the facts, explore the underlying emotions, and learn something new about ourselves. Today I'm talking with Natasha. She is an environmental activist and an expert in deep canvassing. Natasha has been using this technique to change minds and fight climate change. She's been talking a lot with people whose lives are intertwined with the oil and gas industry and found a way to their hearts. So let's start with just exploring what is deep canvassing. What is it? What is it and what is it for you?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so deep engagement canvassing is a conversational tactic that is rooted in deep listening, compassionate curiosity, and essentially by sharing vulnerable stories of our life experiences in conversation with another person, then that can create the space for someone to feel more open to perhaps shift their perspective. Um, create the space for them to build more compassion and connection to kind of resolve their inner conflict and become more supportive of an issue. So yeah, the, the West Cooney Eco Society, we are using this tactic to talk to folks about um, government action on climate change. And, you know, recognizing that The individual action that we take in our day-to-day lives like composting or recycling or changing our light bulbs whatever it may be is important and should be celebrated and people like you and i we can't tackle the climate crisis alone so we need our government to do more and the thing is is that many people are not in favor of government doing more folks feel like they don't they don't trust the government Um, or typical environmentalists haven't met them where they need to be met. They don't feel included in environmental conversation. Mm -hmm. So we're using this tactic to meet those people where they need to be met, um, share stories of life experiences around how climate has impacted us in our day-to-day lives and show them that we're there to have a conversation. And that creates an opening in people to, yeah, to feel more in favor of government taking more action on climate change.
0: Right. So you you go door to door, knocking on people's door, and and create a conversation out of the blue. How people <laughs> respond to that.
1: <laughs> so yeah, we have been on the phones and door knocking since 2020. And of course, when the pandemic hit, uh, we had to make some adjustments and we we're on the phones for quite a while. Um, but we're back on the back on the doors. We're doing doors and phones a few times a month, which is really exciting.
0: Back and... on the door because door is better.
1: Back on the door, because, I mean, I guess a few different reasons. We only have so many phone contacts. Um, You know, we can only get landline numbers, and there's lots of people who we're not going to reach because lots of people don't have landlines. Um, So we're going door-to-door to, to, um, yeah, sort of fill in that that space of people who we're not going to reach on the phone. And door-to-door in person is... I think for volunteers, a far more meaningful experience. I mean, online is still a meaningful experience, but there's something about getting together with a team of volunteers in a like fun, supportive culture and space that makes people want to come back. And having that like face-to-face conversation, Mm -hmm we get less rejection on the door Mm. than we do over the phone. You know, someone sees you as a person rather than hears you as a voice on the phone. You know, I, I think on the phone, I mean, each time, phone or door, I am always so excited and pleasantly surprised how willing people are to talk to us. But there is, yeah, there is that like more human aspect of it that people are less likely to shut your door when they see you there as someone who just wants to have a conversation
0: you were talking about the distrust in government uh, can you say more about that and what do you see it seems to be the biggest topic of uh, the year totally yeah and
1: when we go to pe- go and talk to people about government action and climate change we hear distrust about government in all various aspects outside of climate change too because you're right there's a lot of that going on right now Um, And I think actually the, um, I mean, currently some of the distrust that's coming out of the pandemic, um, we're hearing a bit of that in, um, in how folks feel about government taking action on climate change. So that's really interesting, but yeah, where does that, where does that distrust come from? I think, I think sort of, environmentalists and sort of government um, combined in a way is we haven't done a good job at communicating to people in what we call sort of the mushy middle, people who aren't, you know, far left environmental progressives, but, you know, maybe are more working class. Um, Yeah, we haven't done a good job at communicating to them and including them in environmental conversation and so I think that has created this idea that like oh whatever is going on in the environmental world you know that's not for me or mm. you know environmentalists are you know they're so and so they're they're too wild for me or, or whatever that may be um there has been sort of this like this misconception that has been been created um or that you know If I talk to an environmentalist, they're just going to tell me what to do and they're going to get angry at me and they're going to threaten, you know, tell me I have to change my way of life. And so we're trying to sort of break down those barriers of, of, you know, we, we come to the door and we are transparent and say, you know, I'm someone who's really in favor of government taking more action on climate change. But I'm here to have an open and honest conversation with you because it's not something that we do very often. And so naming that we are, you know, maybe that quote unquote environmentalist who maybe they have this idea of, but we're, we're doing that first piece of breaking down that barrier by saying, but we're here to have an open and honest conversation. And that just slowly starting to kind of crack that open a little bit. So yeah, I amazing. think that's where some of that distrust
0: comes from so I want to understand better when they don't trust the government what exactly they don't trust at maybe they don't trust the government take action on climate or they don't trust the government to support them Uh, maybe they're afraid to be left behind in the transition what are they afraid of so there is a yeah
1: a distrust of like government actually going to do what they say they're going to do um there's lots of folks who feel like it's not the government's responsibility it's actually individual responsibility um so it's like the community's responsibility it's our neighbor's responsibility um and yeah there I think there is this fear that um, more government action on climate change is going to mean yeah for people who are immersed in energy intensive industries um, that it's going to take away their jobs and change their livelihoods. Um, so yeah, believing that they're not, yeah, government's not going to do what they say they're going to do, individual responsibility, and then that job pieced. And also um, there's a lot of cost concerns that come up for folks as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, especially in the time of pandemic, there being a lot of like economic uncertainty. Um, but yeah, folks believing that this is just gonna cost them more, our taxes are gonna rise up, um, you know, what that's going. what is that gonna to mean to me, for me and my family? And not necessarily trusting that the government is going to create the incentives and support for their community um, that their community is gonna to need to, you know, take more action on climate change, transition to renewable energy.
0: Those are uh, solid and relevant concerns when you talk with them, and what is them like? What kind of title we can give them—the people that their lives are immersed in the industry?
1: Yeah, I think how I describe the people that we're currently talking to is these folks are, yeah, they are connected, very like deeply connected to industry. Their identity is wrapped up in a. Um, yeah, in an extractive industry culture. Um, yeah, so this town, there's industry in the middle of the town. And the folks that we talk to on the door and on the phone, either someone in their family has worked there or they have worked there themselves. The town wouldn't be there without this industry. And so, and, you know, while that industry has done a lot better and it has like improved many components of sort of pollution and, and waste in that town. Um, there's still a lot happening and um, yeah, I think folks a, lot of, a lot of
0: pollution happening. You mean?
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, a lot of and climate
0: damage. Potentially yeah, damage too. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And, and I think, Yeah, these folks being their identity being so intertwined in this industry that imagining, you know, a transition to renewable energy, for example, it feels like that's going to threaten their way of life and change their change their livelihoods and not include them and their families. And yeah, I mean, the town wouldn't be there without this industry. So those like concerns of folks are like super valid. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And what do you do with that? How do you answer that? Or do they ask you questions? So what would you, would you give me a work? How is the conversations happening? Yeah. They so angry at you? Like you, you become the, the person that they're kind of angry at. You want to take my job or it doesn't go to that? Like,
1: Well, that's a, that's really a good question. Actually, <laughs> we, for the, I think for the most part, we as canvassers, we do not, like hold the brunt of that anger, they do not like pass that on to us, but rather it does come up in the conversation as a whole. Mm-hmm. So, for our deep engagement canvassing project, um, we have been developing a script since 2020 and testing different ways on how to approach these folks, how to have this conversation, what are the things that we that we need to do to to get them to a deeper, more emotional place to feel more in favor of government action on climate change. And one of the things that we do in our conversation is um, we sort of start off by acknowledging how far their town has come already in improving pollution, you know, at recognizing their identity of the town, um, you know. What has this industry meant for you and your family? Um, you know, does this ring true for you? And sort of celebrating that with them to start, that has felt so, beautiful. yeah, it has felt so important to do because one, that is true. It is so true that that industry has improved um, the town and folks like day-to-day lives. And it's a part of acknowledging who they are and their identity and meeting them where they're at by I'm celebrating that <laughs> oh I love that <laughs> um and then that opens the space for us to then transition into sharing our personal stories around how climate change has impacted us and this isn't sharing stories around like I care so much about how the how much the sea levels are going to rise. It, it's not that kind of thing. Like, while, you know, those kinds of things are important, it's more like a day – what have you experienced in your day-to-day life to make it really tangible for the person that actually they are experiencing this and what does that mean for them? So, you know, for example, for myself, I – I mean, it sort of changes every year, Um, but I think about this past summer and how there was intense wildfires, and actually, I spent a bit of time away visiting family in Ontario this summer. And I felt really grateful to have had a place of, you know, clean air with family and being away from the smoke. Um, But I actually extended my flight twice to come back to the Kootenays to avoid the wildfire and the smoke. And that made me feel like so sad that I couldn't come back to the Kootenays, come back to my community and do the things that really support my mental health, like hiking and climbing and um, canoeing and and so sad for my community and them not being able to do the things that make them them and so scared for what that means for next summer. And so that just being an example of like that, that sort of a day-to-day kind of experience or recent experience that I'll share with someone at the door over the phone and then ask them, does that bring up anything for you? What concerns you most about climate change? Have you noticed any changes in your life, you know, in the weather, in the health of the people that you know? And yeah, we often, we have trained our canvassers to share our story first to then sort of paint the picture for the other person of, what that story sharing can look like, and to also demonstrate vulnerability, mm. and that vulnerability is okay. And now we're now we're opening the space to ask you questions. You know, what does climate change mean to you? And sort of, yeah, make that space feel safe.
0: Amazing. It might be a kind of a generalization about conservative that they don't like to talk about feelings. Hmm. The, there's like there's like those people like more lean to the left like and enjoy talking about feelings me <laughs> and, and all the people <laughs> and the people that like not fond of talking about feelings and also when you talk with them about feelings I will say I have feelings but it's irrelevant to the conversation mm. have you met them like have you seen that kind of thing so the question is like when you kind of bring this vulnerability and if you mm-hmm. get this type of person how do you go through that? Mm, uh, yeah, it kind of it's an obstacle.
1: Absolutely. I mean, yeah, one of the things that deep engagement canvassing is rooted in is that emotions are far more far more powerful than facts. You know, we're not going to the door or over the phone and throwing facts at people as to why we need more government action on climate change or a transition to renewable energy. We're getting at the root of emotion because people ultimately vote from that place. And yeah, in the scenario I described around like starting to ask some questions around, why are you concerned about climate change? People are not necessarily vulnerable or offer that emotion right away. It's not. I think a lot of us are taught not to share that emotion um, and that it's not safe to do that or not okay or not professional or whatever it may be. It makes you weak. Yeah, exactly. And so we train our team of volunteers to really dig, um, you know, ask various like different types of questions. And we also train our team to use uh, what we call like the cone of curiosity. So you start off with asking sort of, you know, who, what, when, where, you know, just kind of getting details and then narrowing it down into okay, well, how did that make you feel? And then narrowing it down again into why did you feel that way? And the asking the why is supposed to really get at the core and really get that person who we're talking to to reflect themselves. Okay, why Why do I or did I feel that way too? So yeah, emotion, these conversations don't necessarily come easy. And so it's a lot of, yeah, patience and compassion and digging and holding space and a lot of listening, too. Um, getting the other person to kind of fill that space a little bit as well as they go through their own processing.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Almost to be like a, a therapist. <laughs> like <listening laughs> and bringing it to the core. <laughs> totally.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's... In a way, it's a bit of a fine line. You know, we we also train our our volunteers, our canvassers, that they need to take good care of themselves too. If they're in a conversation that is actually triggering or really challenging for them, we offer them sort of tools to address that, or they're welcome to leave a conversation if they need to, kind of thing. Because while we're there to create vulnerable conversations and compassion and listening, we're also not trained therapists either. Right. Um, and so yeah, sort of balancing
0: that for our team feels really important. Okay. And, and what is meaningful for you? So you're doing this for two years already. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I guess technically in a way since 2019 was the first time that I learned about deep canvassing, um, some of our staff and volunteers went down to Montana to learn from this group called the Montana Engagement Partnership, who was doing some deep canvassing on conservation. And then 2020, um, we started working with a few of those folks, and then some folks from the New Conversation Initiative, who founded this tactic over 12 years ago, and then started developing our own program. Um, and yeah, so I guess a bit over two years and it it has been huge for me. I have learned so much and am still learning so much about what it means to be in conversation with people who, who don't necessarily agree with you or who on the surface we think may not hold the same perspectives as us, or who may be so different. But ultimately, as humans, we have some like similar values in basic needs. And this project has taught me a lot about, yeah, compassion for that, how to get to that. Um, in my day-to-day life with friends and family, I have taken a lot of these skills in having more thoughtful, compassionate, listening conversations to sort of like mediate some conflict with family too. And how to like hold space in a different way with friends when they're sharing something hard with me. Um, And also as like a, a manager and a supervisor, it's also shifted some of the ways that I think I hold space for some of my coworkers. And um, yeah, ultimately, I think it's really, it's been so meaningful in that it's really shifted the way that I interact with the world. Um, And has really like created a deeper sense of, of compassion for people with people from different walks of life
0: beautiful so would you say that before you learned this technique you were more avoiding those conversations or were you were more triggered from being around people that think differently than you
1: what mm. was the change It's mm. <clears throat> a good question I would think yeah I mean community and compassion is something that's always been important to me but I think definitely I have spent a lot of my life <laughs> i um, being avoidant of conflict. Yeah. Be very agreeable. And, you know, whether it's with like friends or family or whatever it may be. Um, and, and yeah, I think having a little bit more of those like triggering moments as well. And it has certainly shifted my, my willingness to step into conflict and feeling a lot more confident and a lot more safe in putting myself in that space and in in a way where I feel like I'm able to kind of take that less personally and yeah, have a bit more of an opening of just hearing where that person's life experience comes from. Um, you know, yeah, whether it's within this deep engagement canvassing project or whether it's with a family member, a friend or Whatever it may be, feeling, um, yeah, a little less like I don't know if I don't think emotionally invested is the word, but like less personal. Instead, it it feels more about like I'm holding space for you because I want to create a world where you can be included and I feel better and more confident on how to do that
0: that makes sense? Oh yeah, it does. So in some conversation, we can talk about things that we don't agree about, but are not burning to us, like more, more like an intellectual uh, argument. But in other conversation, we can talk about something that is super hot for us and the decisions that we'll get from this conversation will affect us directly. And those conversations tend to be very triggering and scary. What do you do with those situations? I love that you just brought
1: that up. I've had a few volunteers recently talk about this and actually um, on Wednesday I hosted a compassionate curiosity workshop with some of our supporters and um, and we talked a bit about how do we how do we manage our own emotions when we're faced with someone who, has a totally different perspective from us and we feel this like anger or maybe sadness or frustration like in our bodies and it being really challenging and how do we do that and um, yeah I think that's something that with like so in the workspace with the team that's something that we continue to check in on we have like thorough debrief sessions so that we can process those hard things together and that feeling is so immensely important and yeah something that I've like communicated with volunteers as well and as I did in this compassionate curiosity training I hosted the other um the other day was that part of our willingness to step into conversation with people who may not agree with us and where we're having a lot of emotion come up ourselves, That is, that deserves to be applauded in a way because I think our willingness to do that is also a step for, for ourselves in breaking down our own um, internal conflict around having conversations with other people who don't agree with us. You know, we've been taught to dis- to not like people who don't think and act like us. And so I think our willingness to step into that space as hard as it can be in that moment is our first step in like breaking down that internal narrative and conflict. And that deserves to be celebrated. And also acknowledging that that like it is okay to have those feelings. And that is like so normal and human to feel that way, those frustration, that anger or sadness as well. Um, and particularly in the context of our, of our work and talking to people about government action on, on climate change and a transition to renewable energy, when we talk to people who don't really believe that climate is a, a big issue or um, or that kind of thing. Something that we hear often in our conversations, whether someone kind of moves to be more in favor at the end of the conversation or not, is that people were really, they're really grateful that we came to their door, or talked to them on the phone to have this conversation to create the space for them to just think about something that they haven't really thought a lot about. Mm -hmm. And in the moment that can be really challenging for us as Canvassers volunteers, whoever it may be to hear. And I think that's where some of that like incremental societal shift happens, you know, whether, you know, say they don't move at the end of the conversation to be more in favor and we've had a challenging conversation. Part of what we've done is deep depolarized a bit of that narrative around environmentalists or so and so, and we environmentalists and working class people can't connect. And we've we've broken that down a little bit through having a challenging conversation. And so I think we can. We can walk away from that knowing that we have internally moved that person a little bit because they're going to close their door or hang up their phone and still sit with some of the things that you've talked about because they weren't expecting a door knocker or phone caller that day.
0: Yeah.
1: So I think there can be something there to kind of maybe mediate some of the frustration or anger that we feel that. Okay, you know, that was a hard conversation. This person does not necessarily more in favor, but they we did create an opportunity today for them to think more about this. And maybe that's just a starting point for that person who we talk to, and that's okay. Um and that's where some of our work needs to start in our world. Yeah, yeah. That's enough. So I don't know if I answered your question, but um, I'll just say the emotions that we feel in these conversations are so valid and so real and so okay. And being in that space of having hard conversation is so valuable, even if it's that incremental, like just slowly breaking mm-hmm. down that that barrier of you know, two people from different perspectives having a conversation and and
0: those people feeling like, oh, maybe I can do this a little bit more. I love it. You plant a seed of connection and openness and change for them. And also you create safety in the conversation for them and for yourself to be with your emotions. Mm.
1: I think in a way, yeah, like feeling... Feeling more, I think it's like feeling more safe to be in conversation with someone who may not initially agree with you um, in, you know, in having some, some tools on how to do that um, as a canvasser. And then on the other side, the person that we're talking to, them hearing and seeing that this person is coming to talk to them with no judgment and that creating creating a bit of safety as well, and being able to be a little bit more open. Um. So yeah, safety, I think
0: safety for them.
1: Yeah, I think a bit of a bit of safety on both sides, for the canvasser and the person that we talk to. Yeah. So
0: for them, it's it's the non the non judgment, mm-hmm. and open. and willing to talk about that and somebody listens to them even though they're kind of angry and express those uh, frustrations they have Yeah. and for you it's more safe because you have the tools how to deal with it how to listen to them how to hold space for them and you take it less personally Mm -hmm. and something else make it more safe for you to feel Mm. you can do that Mm -hmm.
1: I think I think a big part of that too is creating a so I guess yeah in the context of the work that we do is creating a really supportive team culture. So, you know, um, on the door canvassers are always in partners so that they can debrief with their partner at the end if something was hard. And then we come back to our like big group space at the end of the day and have a group debrief and and canvassers know that their hard emotions can be held and that they don't have to hold them alone. Um, and I think how that could translate and, you know, in a, into a day-to-day conversation with family or friends and how can you feel safe with that is, I, I think it feels important to maybe debrief with a loved one or another friend after you have that hard conversation with a family member or something like that too. Um, Yeah. So I think like a supportive team culture is a big part of that as well.
0: Yeah. So previously when we talked about volunteer, you said there is like a little bit difficulty to bring people to come back again. Mm. Mm to do the canvassing and now it's, it's feel like so held and so pretty and and like so much processing. What makes them not come back? (laughs) I want to join you. (laughs) What makes them come back or not come back? Not come back. Mm. It sounds perfect. And so so much skill and learning. So, yeah, I, yeah, we,
1: I mean, we have volunteers who, I've shared with us that they they don't really think connecting in this kind of way um, is for them. You know, we do have many supporters and volunteers who um, were sort of fact those facts: how government action climate change is going to work, or how renewable energy is going to work. That speak more to them and so we've had a few volunteers who you know give the deep canvassing deep engagement canvassing experience a try and afterwards feel like it just really wasn't for them um it, it wasn't the way that they felt like they could make a difference in the world um hmm. and that's that's so totally in this that's sense, totally fair the- like i sort of mentioned earlier a lot of us aren't taught to really connect vulnerably with ourselves and with others. And we, and, and that's what we train folks to do in our, in our program. And I think sometimes folks who don't come back, that felt really challenging for them to, uh, to be emotional with, with other canvassers, with people at the door, maybe with themselves too. So I think maybe that's just a sort of my own, Maybe intuition. Um, I think there's some of that as well. That it just feels really hard for people sometimes. Um, and I guess the other thing as well is this tactic is a depth, not breadth, tactic. So when we talk to you on the phone at the doors, we're we're slowly changing people's minds and slowly getting more support for government action on climate change and um it's different than other tactics that may get petition signatures very quickly or get lots of letters written and you know within this hour or something like that um it's it's slower but I think and so I think that kind of that's different than what a lot of volunteers or canvassers um, maybe may, may have been used to previously to this work with um, the West Community Eco Society. Um, to see fast results. Yeah, and this the is, culture. yeah, and, and this culture. is, yeah, exactly. And this is a, a bit slower, but I think personally, I think what comes with the, the slower moving is more deeper systemic change. Yeah. Because we're getting at those emotions.
0: I agree. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I agree.
1: But I think what gets people coming back is that supportive team culture. It's like all about the relationships that volunteers make with other volunteers, that staff make with volunteers, and knowing that they're held, knowing that they are making a difference whether they directly change minds or not at at the door on the phone, they are leading people with food for thought with a different perspective. And that itself is so meaningful. Um, and, and yeah, that this is like a way to tackle climate change in a
0: tangible way in our backyards. Yeah. Instead of going to protests and taking signature, talking with people that disagree with us, learning the skill of listening and changing minds eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, Because when we listen deep, we can understand better and we have better answers. Exactly. What was the most uh, or one of the meaningful things that you learned about uh, the industry culture? the industry working people something that you didn't know or something that was surprising for you mm. Mm.
1: I don't know if this is like surprising necessarily but we've learned that a, a lot of what these folks care about is is family and yeah taking care of their family um a lot of people we talk to they've they've been in that area for a while their family has been in that area for a long time and so there's also a there's a pride associated with that um and a pride around like hard work as well um and, yeah, I think those, like, those values of caring for family and a deep sense of community care as well. Um, a lot of folks that we talk to or some of the folks that we talk to, they may not agree with government specifically taking more action on climate change but they believe in the power of their community and their neighbors coming together to make change happen. And that's been a really, yeah, a really interesting thing to hear and observe as well. Um, And seeing this sort of, this power and connection between neighbors and really caring for their neighbors. I think that's been, those have been some some really cool things to learn.
0: And is this caring for family and and the community is part of the industry? Is it intertwined with the industry? I think
1: I think in a way it is. The industry folks that have worked there say their, you know, say their dad worked there and then their brothers worked there or their uncles worked there. It's like working in this industry has supported their family. Their family wouldn't have the same sort of, or they believe their family wouldn't have the same sort of lifestyle, livelihoods without this industry, without their, their dad, their grandfather working there. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely that generational connection
0: Yeah. Yeah. And did you ask them if they would want to work for the green industry or it's too up in the air, vague idea for them at the moment? And also when they do share about their concerns from the climate, how do you see they deal with this inner conflict? Yeah, I think... You just, yeah,
1: you just named a lot of where that like internal conflict, cognitive dissonance comes from. A lot of the folks that we do talk to do believe in some way that, yeah, climate change is real, that, that we're experiencing it in in the Kootenays. And so they, they hold that and they hold... You know, my whether it's like my family or someone I know has worked for this industry. Are we going to lose jobs? I'm fearful of cost. Um, So you know, while I I do believe that climate change is happening, um, I I don't know how supportive of that I can be because I yeah I maybe I can't afford something different or I don't want my livelihood to change or my family to be impacted. So that is certainly this like this mix of emotions that a lot of folks are holding, um, and one of the things that we that we talk about in our in our conversations is you know we want to come together as a community and advocate for our governments to make a transition to renewable energy over time affordable for you and your family and accessible where there will be, um, clean energy jobs. Um, and really try to communicate that we want to part of what we're talking to them about is like, including them in that conversation, including them in a transition. Um, and that this is part of what we're talking to them about is like the government action on climate change and a transition to renewable energy. It, it needs to be affordable and it needs to be accessible and include you. And, you know, while we can't offer exactly what that's going to look like, and that's challenging for some people, um, it's advocating for that vision um, where I think there's a lot of power and some folks see that in our, in our conversation.
0: That they see that you care about them, that you, you want to include them. And that those activists that doesn't want to throw them away and just switch to renewable energy and Mm -hmm. and shut, shut off the industry right away. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And that can, you know, that, and, you know, sharing stories around what they have experienced with climate change that can help resolve a little bit of that conflict and that cognitive dissonance and make a make government action on climate change transition to renewable energy feel a little bit more possible in knowing that it will include them and their families.